Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everybody, to the Generous Business Owner Podcast. My name is Jeff Thomas, one of the hosts. I've got a special treat for you today. We've got Anthony Humphreys, who uh, is a real estate mogul. Okay, I'm not reading off the script here, Anthony, but a real estate mogul who uh, owns a a company called Eden Companies. And he's going to tell you more about that. He's got a very interesting path of how he got into the real estate business, but he is certainly a a generous business owner and a guy we've met through uh, uh, through Mike Sherrill at C12. Both of us are members of a Christian CEO group that has groups all over the country. But as you listeners know, the purpose of this podcast is really just to inspire and encourage and possibly equip business owners who want to be more generous on their path. And so, Anthony, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. It's an honor to be on the show. Well, listen, we were talking earlier, uh, you've got such an interesting uh, path into the business you're in. But before we get into the business stuff, uh, tell us where you grew up. What was that like? Where'd you grow up? What was your family like? Yeah, sure. Grew up in small town, Kentucky, Campbellsville. And uh, mom actually worked at a, a factory putting sleeves and T-shirts for the loom for, for a long time. And my dad uh, managed a grocery store. On the side, I would kind of help him paint houses. That's what he did on the side. So uh, just small town, Kentucky guy, love playing baseball. And in hindsight, of course, I see a few things that might have been uh, more entrepreneurial, but didn't really have a lot of those influences in my life growing up. I wanted to be a baseball player. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So I didn't have big uh, business aspirations or anything like that. And I actually wanted to be a counselor was my plan. So what kind of counselor were you thinking about being? That's a great question. A counselor that helped people, I guess. I was yeah. actually quite the heathen in uh, high school and even college. So, <laughs> But I think there was a good heart down in there somewhere, you know, and uh, I knew I didn't want to be a preacher or a missionary, you know, so, yeah. uh, well, maybe I'll be a counselor. So, And not yeah. a lawyer, not that kind of counselor. Right. No, not that kind. Not that kind at all. So. Yeah. And then uh, where did where did college take you? Yes. Yeah, so moved up to Lexington, Kentucky, went to a small school called Transylvania University. It's about a mile down the road from University of Kentucky. And I uh, had a lot of friends around Lexington. It was so close and uh, ended up joining a fraternity there. And that's really where a lot of the adventure started because there were so many alumni that I'm even still connected with uh, in that network or relationships, a lot of really good guys there. And so I actually, when I graduated, worked for a fraternity ministry. One of the alumni had started up who is a successful business guy in the restaurant business. Um, And of course, through that, I met, um, I think we were talking earlier about NCF. I met the fella who started up NCF in Kentucky through that. And we started raising some funds for that fraternity ministry while I was getting my master's in social work, of which didn't last very long until I figured out I probably wasn't much of a counselor <laughs> or social worker. So, so I kind of exited that path. And then where did that take you? What, when you decided not to do that anymore, what did, where did you head to? 
Yeah. So I guess it was just after 2000, the internet bubble had crashed and we ended up having to raise some of our own funding to continue doing that fraternity ministry work. So I actually did that full time, decided to stay. And it, it had just made sense to me where I was getting that social work degree. I'd moved in a neighborhood close to campus. Uh, it was a low income neighborhood. I was called a street worker, as a matter of fact, at the local congregation there, hang out on the street with the kids. And um, I had bought a little house in that neighborhood because it made sense to me to buy a house instead of rent. So we fixed that thing up and had a couple of buddies that moved in, paid me a little bit of rent. So that was my first acquisition. But, uh, you know, when we started having to raise money to continue doing that job, I kind of realized, man, it'd be helpful if I had a few more of these houses and some more cash flow. And as it turned out, the pastor of that small church who was mentoring me actually had a lot of real estate. Uh, He was bivocational, more or less. And the guy who mentored me in college when I was in that fraternity, he worked for a campus ministry, but he also had a lot of real estate around campus. So it just seemed like wherever I turned, God just placed me in relationships with other people that were just helpful in every area of life. And uh, that's something I had kind of struggled with. I always thought, you know, if you're doing so-called ministry and you have to be a preacher, missionary or something like that, you certainly couldn't be a business guy. And I thought God was kind of frowning at me when I was doing the real estate work. But thankfully, from the help of several friends, there was a transition in my heart on that so so yeah unpack that a little bit more so that what does that mean what was that transition like yeah it's an interesting story i got married late 04 we were still doing my wife and i by that time we were doing fraternity and sorority ministry and i raised our own funds i had maybe three to four rental houses that time not not many and uh I was praying one day and felt like God asked me how much faith I had. And I said, well, I got a lot of faith. You know, I'm out here trying to do this ministry on campus and raise my own funds and whatnot. And was really into impressing God, you know, and uh, I felt like he just kind of asked me, well, are you out there trying to buy any houses? And I said, well, no. And uh, he said, well, then I don't know if you have much faith. (laughs) And so after that, I went, started knocking on a bunch of doors. So that that was a big part of it. But the other part is there was actually a group out of Kansas City called the Joseph Company. And a fellow there produced a, uh, I guess I got the talk on a CD. This was a while back. And uh, he was talking about how you earn a reward in heaven, basically out of whatever you do, whatever you do out of your love for God is ministry whether it's clean a toilet, build a house, or do, you know, talk to students on campus. And so there was kind of a heart shift that took place there when I started hearing about that as well. And um, that I could be a minister in the business world, just as I could be in a vocational ministry job. So that was a big deal. I think actually after that year, those four houses doubled. So we had eight. I think at the end of the next year, we had 17. Almost every year after that, it doubled. So it was somewhat exponential, pretty pretty miraculous on that front. Do you think you were held back from buying more houses? One of the things that kind of hit me as you were telling that story is 
you know, maybe you were holding back, not making more offers because you thought, look, I'm ministry guy. I'm nonprofit worker ministry guy. I'm not business real estate guy. I'm not allowed to be both. I'm just doing the real estate to pay for the ministry thing. But I, you were self-identifying a ministry guy. And I think, you know, I, I wrote a book called Trading Up that was basically that was the theme of it is my dad was a pastor and uh, he was a business guy who went back and got a seminary degree and became a pastor. And I thought, well, I grew up what I call with stinking thinking that if you if you're in ministry, you got to work for the church or a nonprofit. You can't be in business. And it took me like 30 years for God to kind of unravel that and go, wait a minute. Just because I'm called to the business world doesn't mean I'm any less in ministry than my father working at the church. Is that kind of a thing you were that was God? Was that the that connection that God was making for you? Yeah. Same Holy Spirit's in all of us. Right. And, and you're uh, kind of doing uh, both, though. Like, that's sort of interesting, though, because. I often think about it like, oh, I'm a business guy that's doing ministry. And then you got the church guys or the nonprofit guys usually saying, well, I'm also in ministry. Okay, well, isn't that nice? But you kind of interest. It's almost like a hybrid. Like you had a foot literally doing a ministry. Uh, I want to unpack that a little bit, what you were doing there. What does that mean, a fraternity ministry? But then also doing the business. That's really interesting because you're doing both, right? That's right. And that was the model, the two mentors I had at that time. And really a guy who's another mentor in the past several years, I would say the amount of time he gives to people and just meeting and mentoring people, he doesn't need to get paid for that. But man, the amount of time he spends doing that, he could definitely call himself bivocational. So the models I had mm-hmm. in my life were really even the fellow who started NCF, he still works as an estate planning attorney part time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that, that's just what was modeled to me. And any time I tried to do all business, it seemed like it would just fall apart. It was almost like I moved myself in the driver's seat. I took control and I would like I call it like that scene in Tommy Boy where he's got that role, if you're familiar with that. And he squishes it all up and he messes it up, you know, and that's what I would do. I would just take it and mess it all up. Same thing on the vocational ministry side. If I ever tried to focus on that full time, man, it it was just a wreck. So I came to the conclusion probably 10 to 15 years ago that God just really wanted me in both. And that's been a, a healthy balance for me anyway. I understand that that might be a bit unique, but. I think this is fascinating. I think this is absolutely fascinating because I, you know, we have an advisor at our firm who founded a church, runs it full time, doesn't take a salary. And but he his day job is as a financial advisor, you know, and that's bivocational. I mean, he, he is doing both jobs, but I never really thought about it being, you know, like I always kind of think of one or the other, but not both happening. So. Just just for our to ease our listeners' brains and they get to know you a little better, tell us a little about that fraternity ministry you were telling me earlier. But just just share uh, with somebody walking down the street a little bit more of what that what does that mean? What were you doing practically? Yeah, I'd love to flesh that side out and kind of flesh out the side how is how is Eden Companies a ministry? Exactly, I really want to do both. Let's yeah. let's, let's kind of build those both. 
Yeah, because I don't want to segregate. That's right. That, but uh, but yeah, on the fraternity ministry front, there was a I mentioned there was a wealthier business guy, restaurant business who started that up. He was about thirty two, had gosh dozens of Papa Johns and some other mm. stuff. Was thinking back, you know, kind of like the whole halftime concept yeah. of, you know, what do I do of significance now? And felt like God took him back to his fraternity get days and how there were a lot of guys who really wanted a relationship with God, but just didn't know quite where they fit in and how that worked. And so we would go around the state speaking to pledge classes, new members, and just basically giving our three to five minute story. It helped that we had his restaurant coupons with us. I bet that's right. Pizza. Pizza. Yeah, we got in the door that way, you know, hey, we'll give everybody free food. The reception was incredible across the state of Kentucky, about 100 fraternities. We got in all 100 and the reception, we would ask guys if they were interested in talking more about a relationship with God, kind of how our story developed to let us know. And man, we get these comment cards back and about 20 to 25 percent of these guys would say they're interested. So we would just simply call them, round them up, even in a group, take them out for free food again kind of ask, Hey, what's your story? You know, what's your spiritual background and, and just go from there and, and, um, kind of still what I love to do. I mean, those were really the future business guys. You know, I think the main concept of the podcast here is generosity and business. Well, I think a lot of these fraternity guys end up being leaders in the business world. And that's, it was kind of an incubator for that. Our whole goal in that (laughs) was actually to cut the learning curve back, you know? It's yeah. like, what if instead of 40 years old, I was yeah. 25 years old, and I remembered that guy who came and spoke, and maybe something hits. And what we were finding is these 18-year-olds were ready for it. Wow. You know? So it was pretty cool. But that was back in 2000, I, I started with that. So that's that's kind of what we did. We start the Bible studies right inside the fraternity houses. Okay. We wouldn't try to ask them necessarily to come out anywhere because yeah. that's, you know, that's tough to do if you're a fraternity guy. No, that's like right. being in that fraternity house. They're in their bubble. Yeah, so that that was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, like I said, I was, when I started that, my goal was three years, get my social work degree, start counseling and realized really quick, like I wasn't much of a counselor. And uh, I wanted to own my own counseling clinic so I'm not sure how I was dumb enough to kind of miss the fact that, you know, I wanted to own and run my own. Maybe I was more bent in that direction than actually doing the counseling. <laughs> so so what happened thing. after the fraternity ministry and the counseling went down? What did you start kind of doing on the ministry front there? Sure. Yeah. Back? So we tried to, I faded down and the more I got into real estate and that was part of my okay. problem, right? I thought God's frowning at me when I'm doing this real estate. So when I set, got set free from that, it's kind of like the hours started moving down on the fraternity ministry side and moving up on the real estate side. And then I've also been uh, highly influenced by it's a class called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. And they, in essence, talk about the places in the world where there is no church or unreached people groups around the world. And man, I I caught that concept my junior year of college. And I grew up in church. My parents kind of made me go to church, you know, even though I had a lot of freedom. But the only thing I knew is I didn't want anything to do with it. 
But man, when I heard this concept, I just assumed everybody in the world, and this was again, 22 years ago, I just assumed everybody had an opportunity. And so uh, I was just awestruck to find out they didn't, and I never could shake that. And so kind of when God was releasing me out of the paternity ministry stuff, that other bivocational time really went towards the other nations and peoples that don't have a church. And um, that's been a, that's been a really interesting journey, but I guess before I I get into that, I'd I'd love to hit kind of what it looks like to do ministry within Eden companies. Exactly. That's what I was, that's what I think. I think the, you know, I'm just, I'm picturing one of your uh, guys in the old Bible study walking down the street, go, Hey, I remember that guy. And they're probably running <laughs> yeah. a little business and you planted some seeds and now you get to inspire that person with some yeah, things. Okay, 20 so, years. Yeah, yeah, 20 so, years ago, so, that guy who had thinning hair that was still trying to yeah, come I remember that guy. He wasn't much of a counselor, but I hear he's pretty good at real estate now. So <laughs> let's, let's hear about how the real estate plays into this deal. Yeah. And, you know, it's an interesting journey in business because you're out there and you're trying to leverage a lot of what you can and squeeze the dollars out. And I realized how hypocritical it was if I'm not paying my employees well, if I'm not treating my clients well, and if I'm not giving back to the community where I am. And so those kind of things became really the three legs or values that Eden Company stands on. We talk about how our mission is from the Lord's Prayer, you know, honored or hallowed be your name. So we want to honor God and all we do. We want to love others and all we do. And that looks like encouraging our team members. That looks like serving our clients or our residents. And that looks like giving back to the communities and even the nations, uh, which is where the name Eden Companies comes from. It's the tree of life in the garden of Eden. And then it's restored in revelation 22, two. So our, our logo is a tree made of three twos from that verse. And in that verse, it talks about how the leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. And so that's where it kind of ties in together. So as, as we're generous, we want to be generous in our communities and in every way we can. But my heart specifically is towards those nations who who don't have any light or hope or anybody attempting to get it there. But um, we've seen that change a lot in the last 20 years as well. But that's still our heart is to bring, uh, again, the Lord's prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we want to see Eden and within our influence happen on earth right now among residents, team members, communities, that kind of thing. So that's, how does that, that's the how, how does that play out in a practical basis? So if we uh, brought in one of your employees, they say, you know what I love about it? Here's how it plays out for me. You know, how would yeah. a, an employee speak to that? Yeah. You know how sometimes we're skeptical. So the, the first, the first few that come to mind didn't work out because they thought, oh, I like some of this soft love. You know what I'm saying? And it's yeah. like, no, nah, you come here to work. <laughs> right. So that's, that's interesting. But man, the ones who have stayed and flourish love the mission of the company and what, what we're about, what we're trying to do. And so I love hearing those stories. And recently with residents, for example, we bought an apartment community. There's been a lot of long time uh, residents there. And, you know, they're on a fixed income mm-hmm. and rates are shooting through the roof. We've dumped a ton of money into this place. I mean, honestly, 
we need to pull money out. We need to raise yeah. rates. Lies are up. Employees are costing more. <laughs> Taxes right. are up. Everything's up. Inflation's through so the roof. What do you do? Yeah, what do you do? We're sitting here saying that we value our residents' best interests, and yet are we going to like raise their rent by 50%? And so what that looked like was figuring out a way where we could qualify them based on income and give them certain discounts but go ahead and move rents where they needed to be for the others. And they're up higher than we expected. So in some ways, we're not making all that we could, but we are taking the excess that we thought we wouldn't get and kind of helping those that have a little bit of a fixed income. And, you know, there's a certain limit to how much you can do on that. But, but that's one example of trying to live out our values and helping others. So the, one of the ladies came into the office just so thankful of how we dealt with her in that whole situation and just happy that she didn't get booted out of her townhome, you know? Uh, I really, so I, I really like this. I, I think you hit on something that's super important here. It's just sort of sinking in as you're talking about this. It's a great story. The, the thing that's hitting me is, you know, we can have these big global visions. Okay. Let's say you pick 10 people groups and you're going to make sure that, you know, a Bible is translated into that language and delivered to those 10 people groups. And literally, you could walk into the office that day, day and treat your employees poorly, not think about the struggles of your customers or your community. It's actually not hard to envision that happening and getting a little myopic about, you know, stepping on some people on your way to still do this good thing, but just being mindful of the process and who's right in front of you. And your ministry starts at the front door, you know, the minute you leave the house in the morning. I just think that's a really winsome way. What are other ways that you try to be a blessing to the community other than just taking care of the, uh, uh, your, your, you know, your staff and your uh, clients, if you will? Renters. Yeah, sure. Uh, I serve on the Lexington Leadership Foundation is a board that I serve on. I've been engaged with them forever. They have various initiatives like mm -hmm. a mentoring program for children whose parents have been incarcerated. There's a fatherhood initiative. There's an urban youth initiative. They actually launched the ministry I'm highly involved with, City for the Nations, towards refugees and uh, international students. Kind of their goal is to, to see Lexington become a city for God. And um, what does that look like kind of thing? So, so I love what they do. They help launch and incubate a homeless, a homeless ministry and facility during the day uh, for the homeless. So your wife's got some passions, too, that I'm sure you guys support that I read about. Tell, me, tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and you hit on something, too. It's like her passion is really an art. She's a great painter. And so she has uh, felt released in the past several years to really pursue art. And, you know, it's, it's like we said earlier, whatever you do out of love for God that he's given your hands to do. And if we move in obedience with him, that's worship. So yeah. she's worshiping God through art. She's a mom. We've got 12 year old and a 14 year old right now. And she started a ministry for young women out of the fraternity and sorority ministry we used to do together. So, but it's, 
I tell you the biggest lesson the last year and a half, I think is, uh, man, we're all just people and I certainly don't have it figured out and in no way want to come across like I do have it figured out at all. It's, it's been a humbling year, year and a half. Some stuff you were saying a moment ago really, really hit home. So I don't, I don't know how to dig into that or not. Well, I think, I think the other big thing that you said, I, I mean, one big thing I heard was, you know, don't have this big mission that's beyond what's right in front of you. Pay attention to what's happening in front of you. The other thing I heard, and, and maybe you can help me reframe it, is, you know, God's a lot more interested in our heart than he is our, uh, shall we say, accomplishments. You know, I, I think I can fall into that trap sometimes where I feel like, you know, I got to do more because maybe I'm doing maybe maybe he'll love me more if I do more. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to yeah. just sitting in the relationship and appreciating the love he's got for me. And, and it's really the joy is in the intimacy. It's not in the to do list or list of accomplishments that I might list. Is that, how would you reframe that? Man, you are, you are hitting home. Yeah, I didn't know you could do this, <laughs> but I managed to do it a couple of years ago. I realized that I had made an idol out of the Great Commission. Yeah, out of making there you go. Out of all nations. There you go. And so, so I can excuse my poor behavior and my not loving my neighbor because I'm too important, you know, I got other stuff to do. I'm, I'm playing Robin Hood, you know, I'm like treating other people like crap so that I can, you know, be the hero over here. And there's just all kinds of wrong with that. And I think that stems from, and I love this Enneagram mm-hmm. personality stuff. Mm-hmm. And I hated it when I first <laughs> come across right. it because it was so true. Yeah. But it's like, the way I am, I derive my value from my accomplishments. You know, that's my identity. I think a lot of entrepreneurs and business people tend to do that. Guilty. And man, I think it was this January. I just come to the grips with I'm never going to get it completely right. I'm always going to have mixed motives. In essence, I'm always going to mess something up. And, you know, I thought, if I actually admitted that completely and really believed it, that I would feel like a total failure. But instead what happened is it allowed the grace of God to come over me in such a way that I'd never had it before. The fact that he would accept me, even though I couldn't get it right, never would. And to live and operate out of that grace, not that I don't fall in all the time to the trap of, of earning my way and, and having to prove I'm something to other people. Um, still fall into that a lot, but when I can get back into that place of grace and knowing my identity doesn't come from accomplishments, but it comes from who I am in him and who he says I am, that's just a big difference. And I've struggled with that. Uh, I mean, even when I was first in the real estate stuff and was broke, I was trying to give away so much money. I literally felt like God told me what I need you to do is not try to impress me with how much you're giving away. I need you to not lose it. (laughs) And uh, so that was kind of interesting. 
for me, but that's just who I am. You know, I just, I love to uh, win awards and, and impress and gain my identity out of that. And that's my default. So I, you know, with, well, uh, guys, I, uh, I can assure you, you're not alone in that one. And I think that's a good word for everybody struggling with the same thing. Uh, I think there's a lot of us in that boat. Now, this is kind of generous business owner deal. I think one of the things we were talking earlier, one of the things we're trying to provide to folks is, is a place where they can hear from other people, you know, with kind of a heart to be generous, but the, you know, I, I love what you're talking about. I think the, I think the most interesting stories are where people lead with a limp. So I, I like that you're kind of talking about the struggles you've had and that kind of thing, but from a real practical standpoint, are there some things you've done, you know, like pre-tax with real estate, like you donate a piece of the real estate before you sold it, or you've donated a piece of an operating entity or something? Are there just some practical things that you've done that you might like share with folks? Yeah, absolutely. So we just launched a fund recently to purchase multifamily. And so it was a unique deal, but in essence, what I did is as I sold some of the assets around the University of Kentucky's campus, I sold them into the fund, yeah. of which investors came in, which was an interesting process. Incredible. But anyway, one of the pieces, I went ahead and I gave it away to the National Christian Foundation, more or less. Um, so it's you know, a sizable piece of property. And in essence, what happens out of that if I had sold that and not done a 1031 exchange and actually taken the cash, paid capital gains on it, and then given away the cash, then I would have had about two thirds of the cash versus if I go ahead and I donate the property. And then, you know, later on, you figure out if, if you're going to sell it or not and this kind of thing. So we did end up selling that. And because we ended up selling it to that fund, uh, the charity kind of gets to hold the capital gains are more or less avoided. And so you get to kind of direct which charities you can give that to. So, of course, we all believe in paying our taxes and providing for roads and infrastructure and police. But it's also nice to be able to direct uh, your giving to certain charities as well that are doing good work. So just a way to, to do it and have a little more to direct as opposed to maybe pay to the government. So No, I mean, I've yet to meet anybody who didn't want to legally drive their tax bill down. If they could direct a, a tax dollar uh, to a giving dollar thing, turn the tax dollar into a giving dollar. I haven't met somebody that didn't want to do that yet. So I just think that's also one of the key things I think is that most people we were talking earlier before we started recording about it. Most people don't really realize that, you know, like 90 plus percent of the giving in America is done with cash, but it's probably the least tax effective thing to give. The most tax effective is, you know, an asset that has increased in value, like you're talking about a real estate asset where you avoid the capital gain, get the deduction for it, and then the cash goes straight. So the government, actually, the U.S. government is pretty generous with their tax breaks if we're willing to be generous. 
And so whether it's appreciated stock or a piece of real estate or any of those kind of things, uh, you know, those are the kind of things we talk about as a company a lot. So anyway, I just love that you have such a clear example of that. But I really love your heart around these things about really the relationship with God being the most important part and not the accomplishments or all of those kind of things. And 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 really just your uh, uh, your heart for that for that uh, intimacy, and then also not to step over uh, the people right in front of you for a, for a mission. I always think about this example, like I used to always run to the printer when I was building the business and just blow by everybody and get my thing and go run back. And, and I realized one day, one of my mentors was like, you know, you blew by like three people. You might want to just take a moment and say hello and how was your day? Okay, because people are watching you and the way you're behaving. There's ministry opportunity on the way to the printer, you know, and it's just I just had these blinders on for so long, you know, and waking up to what's around you. There's a lot of ministry opportunity right in front of us. And so I just love that as well. And, you know, what one of the things, Anthony, like, as you know, that we always try to ask at the end of this is just maybe something's come to you in this podcast or uh, or you're just thinking about it now. But, you know, this is kind of a podcast, you know for business owners, from business owners, for the most part, and we'll have the occasional consultant on, but for the most part, it's just business owners like you talking to other business owners who are maybe just a little further behind you on the path. You know, is there something practical you might leave with them? Have you thought about something? What's something simple that they can maybe think about or do tomorrow that might help them on their journey? Oh, got it right here. Yeah, before I graduated college, I heard a uh, a talk about a guy uh, from a guy saying, you know, in a lot of ways, if you don't decide what you're going to do with your first paycheck, your default method is a lot of times to spend it all or maybe you spend most of it and save a little bit. If you're not intentional about making a decision about your giving, you're probably just not naturally going to do that. And so I I was fortunate to have that. Of course, most of this, you know, are past that point. So what do we do now? And it really reminds me, this is the best book on money. It's so short Mm -hmm. and it's seven principles called the treasure principle. And I absolutely love this book. You know, it's short, but the pearls that are in here are incredible. And it kind of talks about uh, how God doesn't increase your He doesn't increase your income to increase your standard of living, but your standard of giving and, um, you know, different, different things like that. So Randy Alcorn, uh, the treasure principal, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, one of my favorites, he's got a a bunch of great lines. I think he coined the phrase, you know, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Yeah. Yeah, kind of, kind of, you know, our, our last guest was talking about, he's got, he was an old accountant and he had a spreadsheet uh, with his net worth on it, you know, kind of, kind of always adding it up and he realized he needed to add a tab for his eternal spreadsheet for his giving and kind of shifting the focus to that because that's actually the only stuff you take with you is the stuff yeah. you sent ahead. So I think Randy has some, that's a, that's a great, great suggestion. Well, listen, Anthony, this has been a real treat. Thanks so much for joining us on the uh, Generous Business Owner Podcast. And fine. My favorite topic, business and God and 
talked about all of it, I tell you. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Anthony. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.